All right, let's turn to Genesis 37, which we started last week. And uh, we got uh, just a few verses really into the chapter because we did a lot of introductory stuff and we had kind of a short time last week. Uh, so we just kind of got started in the first few verses or so. Uh, and so today uh, we'll pick up the story uh, really in verse 5 where we'll start talking about Joseph's dreams. Uh, and... Uh, Hopefully get down through about verse uh, 24 uh, today. Uh, let me just read uh, beginning in verse 1 and all the way down through 24. And then we can go back and kind of review what we talked about last week in those first few verses and in our introductory uh, thoughts. Uh, and then we'll pick it up from there. It says, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please, listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, he, still had, he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him. And said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come and bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the same in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said, I will go. Then he said to them, to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. A man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field and the man asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, they have moved from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dotham. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to him, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. 
Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Okay, that's surely as far as we'll manage to get today, knowing me. (laughs) Uh, So uh, the last week we uh, just kind of got started in this story and we looked at those first few verses. So what do you remember that we talked about last week? Okay, can you elaborate? Okay, okay. So God is no longer appearing directly as he did earlier in Genesis to people, uh, either with a direct uh, theophany, as we call it. He's not speaking uh, even with kind of direct dreams like he did with uh, uh, Jacob at Bethel, where he has this dream, but he actually sees the Lord and the Lord speaks to him and the Lord tells him exactly what he has uh, to say to him. But but now he's God is is uh, seems if if you will, he seems more remote at this point. He's not remote, but we don't see him as clearly. And it's and it's interesting that as we go through the story from this point forward, uh, we we see God. And we'll talk more about this today. We see God more in in the providential way that He works and the way circumstances unfold. So the latter part of Genesis is is more similar to the way we live today. <laughs> Uh, than the way uh, Abraham lived, where God would just come and speak to him and tell him what he needed to know. And uh, so even when he does speak in dreams, he doesn't speak in dreams the way he did earlier in Genesis, where God actually appears or an angel appears and he tells him exactly, you know, word for word what he wants to say. But rather he appears in these dreams that need to be interpreted. They're symbols and they're representative of things and they have to be interpreted. And so someone has to have, if you will, a gift of interpretation or a spirit of interpretation to be able to understand the dreams. So so there is this difference, this change, and we'll see this change now from now all the way through the rest of Genesis. What else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll get into that some more uh, today. I wanted to get into that last week and we didn't. But uh, so we'll get into that some more today. But but yeah, there's a lot of things that a lot of things that are happening in in Joseph's life that where things are just kind of spinning around and he has no control over him. He's just kind of uh, we might think of him kind of a victim of circumstances. Uh, But then, as you say, he does exacerbate the problem and we'll see that. 
uh, today. What else? I thought it was cool that, uh, you know, the dream that he had, it was clear by his brothers and his mom and dad what the dream meant. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll get to that today. We didn't, yeah, we haven't talked about the dreams yet. So, yeah, we'll get to that today. And it is pretty clear they go, oh, we we know the implications of this. Yeah, really. What else from last week? That's okay. People are always trying to get ahead of me, David. You talked about the uh, fact that Okay. Yeah. If you just come out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, uh, you know, you'd probably be wondering, you know, you know, if we if God loves us so much and we're God's chosen people and all that, you know, why did we just spend 400 years in Egypt in slavery? And so the story of Joseph helps them get some perspective on on their history, why they uh, why they encountered uh, what they've encountered for the last 400 years, and and gives some meaning and some significance to it. Okay. Well, as I've read this story, I've wondered many times, and again this time, if Joseph is just naive in in doing some of these things that he's done, like bringing back this bad report, and then he tells his dreams. And, but I don't. I've come to the conclusion, and it's subject to change, of course, because. It doesn't tell us a lot. It doesn't tell us he's naive. But I just think, well, maybe he's not naive. Maybe he's thinking he's doing a great thing here. And then when we get into the dreams, he's thinking, well, these guys will rejoice with me. This is a great dream. You know, whatever. (laughs) Well, if he thought that, he definitely was naive. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. That whole question about whether he's naive. Yeah. Linda and I were talking about it. She said he could have just kept his mouth closed, you know, and not... Well, and we'll talk about that today. Well, this is probably where you're covering. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I want to find out where you people are, and then I'll know how lightly I need to tread when I. I don't know. I'm like Jim. I've heard him called a braggart and like that, but you know, I was thinking if he did not communicate, I mean, the dreams are a prophecy, and if he didn't communicate them, then it. Okay, well, we'll talk about that. He was doing God's will. We don't know his attitude. It's not displayed here. There are always, when you talk to people and share the truth, there are people, yes, people do do it out of the wrong motives and self-righteousness. He could have done it, but there are also people that can tell him the truth no matter what your attitude is. They will twist it around and defend it by it. So, we don't know which way it was here. That's true. I, I tend to think with his consistent attitude, like he had to know they didn't like him, and yet his father sent him out to them by himself again, and he said, I will go. And it's kind of funny they put that statement in there, mm-hmm. the fact that he was willing to go out there and be obedient, even though he knew, maybe yeah. he knew he was about to get in trouble. He, he should have known something was up. <laughs> so, he, he, you know, he could have been really naive, or he could have been just doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, let's explore, let's explore all this stuff then. Excuse me. So, oh, it does stress while he was still a youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does stress that. It mentions that a couple of quite a bit younger. Yeah, yeah. He's 17 years of age here, and and uh, I, I'm glad I'm not accountable for everything I did when I was uh, uh, 17. But anyway, well, these are all important questions, and some of the things that I want to look at today uh, as we uh, go through this story. Uh, I do want to point out about Joseph, though. I, 
it's it's very easy with Joseph uh, to kind of put him up on a pedestal and to just see him as kind of this idealistic or this ideal kind of uh, character. Uh, and as we go through the story of Joseph, we are going to encounter some some elements of his character that to, that are just absolutely uh, stunning, amazing. Uh, the guy is an outstanding young man. He is uh, he just uh, he has a, a bedrock of character, an underlying foundation of character that stands him in 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 good stead. Whether he's working for his father or he's uh, a slave in Potiphar's house or he's a prisoner in prison in Egypt or when he's at Pharaoh's right hand and through all of those various circumstances in his life uh, we just see a, a steadfastness of character which when I look at it uh, you know I just can't help but be challenged and encouraged and and exhorted uh, so so there is that aspect of Joseph but then we have these other things, these other questions that come to mind. Uh, and, and, I, and I would suggest to you that, that one of the things that, that speaks to the truthfulness of Scripture, I don't, remember, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, I intended to. One of the things that speaks to the truthfulness of Scripture is that when Scripture presents for us uh, the, at least the chief character, sometimes the the, the less important characters in the story of Scripture, they don't go into enough detail. But in the more substantial characters that we see in Scripture, whether they're David or, or whoever they might be, or Abraham or, or Noah or whoever they are, uh, when we see these substantial characters in Scripture, they're almost invariably, they're very complex. They're not simple. So they're not all good and they're not all bad, okay? And we see examples of that. We're going to see an example of that with Reuben. I mean, the last story we read about Reuben, this study about Reuben a few weeks ago, was just a despicable story. Well, here we're going to see in this story that he's the hero. And, and so what we discover as we go through Scripture is when Scripture presents these people to us, it presents to us them in their complexity, okay? And, and that speaks to us of the truthfulness of Scripture, because that's the way people are. They're complex. There are very few people that are completely good. In fact, none. Okay? And there are very few people that are completely evil or bad. Some of the most evil people do some remarkably good things sometimes. Okay? And so, Scripture reveals that to us and discloses that, that complexity to us. And I would suggest to you that as we go through the story of Joseph that we're going to encounter this complexity, that he is, uh, he is very clearly a man of outstanding character and of remarkable faith. But I would suggest to you that, that uh, and, and, I, and I agree that the Scripture doesn't really define for us or tell us explicitly how to think about some of these things that Joseph does, but I'm inclined to think that Joseph is not acting as wisely perhaps as he should have or he could have, given what he knows. But we'll, we'll look at that as we go through. So what I'm saying about Joseph is, is uh, see him for what he is. See him for his outstanding character, for the remarkable guy that he is. But if there are things in his, in his conduct or in his behavior that raise questions in your mind, and the one that comes to my mind is, you know, later on in the story, we're going to encounter his diviner's cup. 
Okay? And we read about his diviner's cup and we'll go, wait, wait, is this Joseph we're talking about? Yeah, it is Joseph we're talking about. And uh, so what I'm going to suggest to you is you don't have to just make Joseph all good. If as you read the story, you see some things that raise questions in your mind, then maybe that's something that the Holy Spirit wants you to think about as something to watch for in your own life and, and uh, go from there. So, uh, so at any rate, where we got in the story last week, we, Joseph begins to have these dreams. And he has this first dream. And the dream is he and his brothers are out in the field and they're, and they're in the harvest and they're binding up the sheaves in the harvest as they used to do in the olden days. And his sheaf stands up and the sheaves of his brothers come and they bow down to him. Uh, and then he goes and he tells his brothers about this. And, of course, they're quite offended at it. Then he has a second dream. And in the second dream, there's less detail involved in his telling of the story. But somehow in the dream, he sees the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to him. Now, I don't know if he's another star or, or what he is, because it doesn't tell us what he is in, this, in that dream. But he sees uh, the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. Quite clearly, Joseph sees significance in these dreams. And quite clearly, as Dagon was pointing out, his brothers and his father also see uh, at least some meaning to the dreams, whether or not they give credence to them or not. They see the implication of the dreams and the implication of the dreams is that Joseph, who, with the exception of Benjamin, is the youngest in the family, is going to at some point by the implication of the dream, at some point is going to be in a position where the whole family will be bowing down to him, will be serving him. Okay. Now, and, and so he tells this dream, then he tells the second dream then to his father and to his brothers. And of course, it says his brothers are jealous and, and they hate him all the more because of his dreams, it says, and because of his words. And uh, then also his father is even offended by it. His father, it says, rebukes him for this dream or for sharing the dream or whatever. But it says he, he kind of treasures this thing in his mind. He keeps it in his mind. And he thinks about it because it's, it's so profound and so significant. Uh, we're going to say something. Right? Okay. You're saying that that's what they're thinking? No. Or, no that's my take on it. Oh, okay. That simplified has kind of overcome him, and he didn't have a sense at this stage to see it. Well, okay, uh, as far as the telling of the dream is concerned. Okay, well, let's, let's hold off on the question of whether or not he should have told the dream for a minute to ask a couple other questions. Okay. Well, let's wait. Let's wait on that. Okay, I got some, I got another couple questions I want to ask before we get there. We'll get there, folks. We'll get there. Okay. And I can see now we're going to have a war. We'll line up. But but uh, before we get there, there's a couple other questions uh, that we have to ask ourselves, or at least I think we should ask ourselves. And and uh, and the the first question is what. What is the significance of the dreams? What do they mean? And why did he have them? Okay. Why did God give him these dreams, assuming that God did give him these dreams? And we do assume that God gave him these dreams because clearly as the story unfolds, as the narrative unfolds, we come to understand that though 
how God communicates with people has changed, it's clear that God is now speaking through dreams that must be interpreted. Okay, and we encounter that then on through Scripture in a number of a number of instances from this point forward, that God is a, God is communicating through dreams, and that somehow these dreams then need to be interpreted. And what is clear as we go through the story, Joseph will again uh, be interpreting dreams when he's there in prison uh, with the uh, with the uh, other two guys that are thrown in prison with him, and he interprets their dream, and then ultimately, of course. Uh, when he interprets the two dreams of Pharaoh. And what Joseph says about those dreams of these other men is that the interpretation of these dreams comes from God. In other words, to, to Joseph, these dreams, and I don't necessarily think he thinks all dreams are this way, but that there are some dreams that are so significant that it is clear to Joseph that they are a message from God. God sees, or Joseph sees at least some dreams, particularly these dreams, these six dreams we've just talked about. He sees these as messages from God. Okay? And that is, in fact, the view of the psalmist. In Psalm 105, and uh, I think it's about verse 19, it, and we're going to talk about this verse over and over again as we go through the narrative of Joseph. But in Psalm 105, well, let's just turn over there so, we're, so we get it right and we're familiar with the verse because, because we, I will refer to it many times, I'm sure, because it's a favorite verse of mine. Uh, but in Psalm 105, in, uh, help if I get to the right psalm here, in... Uh, <clears throat> In verse, uh, pick up the story in verse uh, 16, the psalmist is recording uh, or, or reviewing the history of Israel and God's working in Israel. And he says, and he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread there in verse 16. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in iron until the time that his word came to pass the word of the Lord tested him. Now, the psalmist here, as he's telling the story of Joseph, refers to some word of God which Joseph has that ultimately comes to pass in Joseph's lifetime. Because he says, until the time that it came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So it's a word that Joseph has that comes to pass in his lifetime. What can he possibly be referring to? The dreams, yeah, the dreams, okay? So quite clearly, the psalmist considers the dreams to be the word of God to Joseph, okay? Now, that's important for us to understand. That, that Joseph understands, <clears throat> excuse me, that Joseph understands and that Scripture later puts it in context that Joseph's dreams are not just some random, you know, night after too many tacos type of dream, okay? But these dreams are God's word to Joseph. They are, as somebody just said, <clears throat> prophetic. They are uh, God telling Joseph something about the future. And, and, uh, and he has, for whatever reason, he has given these, this word to Joseph. Okay. Now, the question is, why? Why did God give these dreams to Joseph? And again, we may be... Uh, 
maybe a little speculation here because we, you know, it doesn't say specifically God gave these dreams and here's the reason why. But as we read the story, I think we can get a pretty good clue. Why were these dreams given? To what? To sustain him through what? Okay, this guy's going to go through 13 years of hell. He's going to be He's going to be brutally stripped and thrown into a pit by his brothers, drug out and sold to Midianite traders, drugged to Egypt in bondage, brought into Egypt, sold into slavery into Potiphar's house, betrayed by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison and set in prison for years in prison before finally uh, his situation turns and his status improves. This is what he's facing. But God has a purpose in all this. God has a... God has something He's wanting to accomplish in all this. And it's a glorious thing. And He needs something to hold on to as He goes through this. What were you going to say? The obvious answer to the question is that the dream set in motion that chain of events that led to the... Okay. Okay, and that's one thing too. Obviously, the dreams are the trigger because it says the brothers hated Him even more because of the dreams... And it says because of his words. So it's not just the dreams, but it's what Joseph is saying. It's those two things together which set in motion this action. So it sets things in motion, but it provides for Joseph some sustenance for him as he goes through what he's about to go through in life. But they have another purpose. And that verse in Psalms is a clue. What is that other purpose that God's word by these dreams has? Testing him, whereas the margin says refined. Okay. So God's word is not only intended to sustain Joseph, but God's word is also intended to test him or refine him. And so we discover something about the promises of God here is, you know, the promises of God to us. We, we hear about the promises of God and we, all, you know, we always get these nice vibrations because we think, oh, promises, you know, wonderful things. But what we discover here about the promises of God in the story of Joseph is that while they are intended to sustain, they are also intended to refine, to test. And, and it's been a... It's been such a provocative thought in my own life to think about that verse in Psalms. Is that now, now Psalms doesn't say it this way, but but I read it this way. <clears throat> that really Joseph's greatest test was not the hatred of his brothers. And Joseph's greatest test was not being thrown in the pit. And having his precious robes stripped off his back. His greatest test was not those days being drugged behind a camel by ropes or chains into Egypt. His greatest test was not standing on that auction block and being auctioned off to Potiphar. Or those years of menial labor serving in Potiphar's house. Or the betrayal of Potiphar's wife. Or those years of... of disgusting imprisonment, unjust imprisonment in the dungeons of Pharaoh. 
But his greatest test was that he had a promise from God that did not appear to be being fulfilled. And the reason I say it's his greatest test is because that, you know, and and the Bible doesn't say it was his greatest test. It just says it was his test. But the reason I think it's his greatest test is because it's my greatest test. I don't know about you. But when we go through troubles and when we go through crises and when we go through catastrophes and when we go through disasters in our life, the, the troubles and the catastrophes and the disasters, they're bad enough, right? But what makes it even worse is we thought God loved us. What makes it even worse is, is not just that we're going through this financial crisis or this health crisis or this relationship crisis or whatever it is that we're going through, the disasters that we're having to deal, deal with and all the pain and the suffering and the anguish. That's bad enough. But what makes it even worse is we thought God loved us. We thought God had, had promised us wonderful things and good things in our lives. And now we begin to wonder, is God really good? Does God really love me? It's bad enough that I have to struggle to get out of debt or it's bad enough that I have to struggle with this disease, this painful illness. It's bad enough that I have to struggle with the death of a child or the death of a loved one. That's bad enough. But throw on top of that the crisis of wondering where do I stand with God in all this? And so the promises of God actually become to us a source of testing. Will we, through these circumstances, still have confidence that as black and bleak and dark as the circumstances of our life are at this moment, is God good? Does God love me? Is God's intentions for me only good every day of my life. And that's where the test is. And His promises become a source of consolation and sustenance for us only if we pass that test. If we fail that test, then His promises are no good to us. And so, so the dreams that Joseph had in his life, these dreams that God gave him, I would suggest to you, were dreams intended for Joseph. They were intended to test him. That's what Scripture says. And they were intended to sustain him, as the promises of God always are. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us that this Word of God that he had had any purpose or intention for anybody else other than Joseph. There's no indication from God to Joseph, Joseph, your brothers need to hear this. They need to know this is going to happen. Uh, And in fact, it really doesn't do anything but provoke him and kind of trigger the whole situation, okay? So what I'm suggesting to you, and, and, and you may not see it quite this way, and that's fine. 
But what I'm suggesting to you is really this is God's word to Joseph. It's his personal word. Yes, sir. Well, it does. And beyond that, to us. Yes. It does. Uh, and so I would suggest to you, I would suggest to you that, there, that the chief purpose of these dreams is to minister to Joseph, to equip him for what he's to go through, and to test him as he goes through it. But it really has no salutatory effect in the life of his brothers, in the life of his father. And, and it really couldn't. It really would have made no difference in the story. It would have made a great difference to Joseph if he had not had these dreams in the outcome of the story. But it would have made no difference to his brothers. And it would have made no difference to his father. His father thought he was dead. So, that, so the dreams are now a moot point. Uh, his brothers think he's off in slavery. So. Well, I'm sure you do. <laughs> As I said, you may see things differently. I mean, I don't know exactly. He could have been bragging. And you don't know that. But if he hadn't told the dreams, there would be no... When the brothers came to Egypt and bowed down before him. I mean, all they knew is that, well, we do something so we in Egypt, now we got ourselves in this mess. It's just coincidence. Now... I mean, that validates the fact that God had this plan all along in everybody's mind, not just Okay, but if that's the case, and we'll get to this when we get to that part of the story, and, and these are just pros and cons, and like I say, people have different opinions on this. Uh, when we get to that part in the story, what's interesting is that Joseph doesn't point to the dream to his brothers. He doesn't argue the dream. He doesn't say, see, this is the fulfillment of the dream. It says he remembers the dream. So he, at that point, remembers the dream. But he doesn't point out to his brothers, God said it would be this way. He just simply says to his brothers, God did this. I do think it says it all, which is, which is my point. I really don't think the dreams have much effect on his brothers. And so... Other than, to, other than to create the hostility that they created. Yes. But I mean, as far as... A, so, pardon? I think they, they, some of them probably did. Some of them probably did. But my point is, the purpose why God gave the dreams was for the benefit of Joseph. And I am reminded of what Jesus says at one point when he warns us about casting our pearls before swine. There are some things that are so sacred and so precious to you, but you tell them to people who don't believe, and it's like throwing your pearls before swine. And I think that's what Joseph did. So Joseph tells the story, uh, tells the dream to his brothers. And as Mike pointed out, Joseph had to know what his brothers thought about him. Remember in verse 4, it says, uh, it says they could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, think about what it would be like if you grew up in a family with ten older brothers. And they never speak to you on friendly terms. 
Okay. Think about this. You have ten brothers. You watch them every day of your life. You watch them relate to each other. You watch them hang out together. You watch them work together. You watch them cooperate together. You watch them tell jokes and laugh together. You watch them hug one another and slap one another on the back. You see all of that all the time. But every time any one of those brothers relates to you, it's harsh, it's angry, it's short-tempered, it's demeaning, it's bitter, it's contemptuous. After you'd experienced that for a few years, what would you feel like? Pardon? Absolutely. Now, remember, he is the favored son. So when he's around his dad, he gets the royal treatment. But when he's with his brothers, he's feeling pretty low. What were you going to say, Rick? Were you going to say something? Yeah, you make you feel about that. Well, now another perspective. You people are hard to. You're a hard group to work today. <laughs> yeah, there's. There's many occasions in his character, even though what you guys said is true, there's many occasions in his character which, and I'm going to say this, and everybody's going to say, oh, that sounds real arrogant. But I'm going to say it anyway. From his character, I think he's probably saying, those guys are doing that, but I'm right. And if he says something, which I think when it says in here, uh, they didn't like him for his words, I think these may be some of the words. You know, I'm right. I know this is right, or this is the way this should be, or you know, he put this bad report back to his father. Maybe it's that kind of thing. You know, he he had this character in him, and he knew the way things should be, and in some ways could write off, even though he still had the impact. And you guys were talking about this, you know, third class, second class, whatever citizen, and, and you know, put down and felt low. At the same time, there's you know the ability enough to have both sets of feelings and, you know, constructs, so I'm sure there was some of this other, because I've experienced this myself, um, and maybe you guys have too, where you know that what you're doing is saying is right, even though people around you won't, won't go along with it. And, and I think as I was reading through this one time, I was wondering if it's even possible. He had this dream and he thought, I'm going to go tell this dream and they'll just found out right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, I'm thinking this, you know, this is, God said this, and he's going to do it. Yeah. But he had no time frame, no way to do it. Yeah, he, he doesn't. I think if you had a dream from God, and you know those must be very vivid dreams, and kind of unsettling, you probably will tell your family but I would think if he... Well, let me put you on the spot, Ginger. Have you ever had a dream from God? Okay. Uh, you had a dream from God, and I have too. Uh, I mean, I've had dreams that I believe, you know, are from God. Uh, very few. <laughs> but, you know, I woke up and I, you know, got up out of bed and went for, went for a prayer walk in the middle of the night. And I went, okay, God's saying something here. Okay. So I've had those experiences. But even when that happens, because of the nature of the way God communicates to us in dreams, and I think He does, 
And we have the warning in the New Testament about those who take their stand on visions they've seen inflated without cause by their fleshly minds. We have that admonition in Scripture. And because of the nature of the way these dreams happen in our lives, there's always in the back of our mind, have I got it right? Have I got it right? Okay? And, and, I, and I think... And I think Jim is right in this regard that I think that, that both of these dynamics can be at work in our life at the same time. The sense of, I know I'm right, but a feeling of being low down and, and, yeah, and, and kind of low man on the totem pole. And the best example of that is when you're trying to do evangelism, right? You experience both those feelings. You know, people are laughing at you. People are mocking you. People are ridiculing you. You know you're right. But how do you feel? See, oftentimes you still have that feeling of being low, being being thought low of, being low man on the totem pole, you know, even though you know you're right. So it is possible for Joseph, and I think Joseph did know he was right. He had this dream from God. He knew it was a dream from God. And, and so I, I believe that Joseph knew he was right. But I also believe that if Joseph was a man with a nature like ours, which I believe he was, that this constant wearing of the relationship with his ten brothers, his ten older brothers, had to have a profound emotional impact on the guy. I mean, let's don't make him into some kind of robot. He's a human being. He's flesh and bones. He's got emotions. He's got feelings. He hurts when people laugh at him even when he's right. I hurt. When I'm right and people laugh at me, I hurt. Don't you? And so I think Joseph is a man with a nature like ours. And I think it's struggle. Now he has word from God. And God says, he doesn't know how, he has no idea how this is all going to materialize, but he has word from God that everybody's going to bow down to him, even his brother's. In that context, it's pretty hard. It'd be hard for me to say, you know, given family dynamics at this point in time, it'd probably be best if I just not say anything. That'd be really hard to do, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> now he has vindication. Now he has vindication from God. If he interprets it correctly. If he interpreted it correctly. And that's always the question when we have a dream from God. Is, am I getting this straight? Am I getting this right? Okay? Is it from God or is it me? But, here's the clue. Here's the clincher in Joseph's mind that it's from God. There are two dreams. And Joseph says to Pharaoh, when Pharaoh has two dreams, the fact that you have two dreams with the same essential content to them, the fact that you have two dreams confirms it and says it's going to happen soon. So to Joseph, the first dream, you know, that's pretty significant. But when it happens the second time, to him he's going, this is from God. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to use my experience. He didn't wait for the second one, though. He told the first one. Yes, yeah, he told it right away. Yeah, he didn't wait. That, absolutely. But... But when he got the second one, it was even more confirmation. 
Okay, and and and, and I don't I don't think we should interpret scripture uh, just in in light of our own experience, but 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 I can you know in my experience I can tell you that there have been times in my life when I have known I have been right and everybody else thought I was wrong, and then I got the personal vindication. And the question was, is this the right time to tell everybody that I know I'm right? And there have been times when I've had to say, no, keep your mouth shut, Rick. Let God vindicate you in his time and in his way. And I, my personal conviction is, and, and, and you may differ and that's fine, but my personal conviction is Joseph should not have told the dream to his brothers. Not because of the effect that it had on his brothers, but because it was, he was casting his pearls before swine. There was, no, there was no virtue in telling his brothers. He could have told his brothers that dream at any time. But why did he tell his brothers when he knew how much his brothers hated him? So he told the dream, and I think personally that it was an in-your-face deal. I just think... I, I'm not trying to be too hard on Joseph here. I love Joseph. He's a great man. And he's going to do things that will stun us. I mean, he's just, he's startling to me in his character. But I just think here's a guy who just can't resist the chance to say, listen, you guys keep making fun of me, but one of these days you're going to bow down to me. And he says it. And I just think, I think it's Joseph's pride. So, the scripture comes to mind when you preface it like that about the Holy Spirit and Father coming before instruction. He says, I know that it's not honor God. And here's, and here's one of the reasons why I think this way, and this won't clinch the argument, but here's one of the reasons why I think this. Why did Joseph spend 13 years as a slave and in prison? God could have exalted him to the right hand of Pharaoh any way he wanted. But why did he go through 13 years of what he went through? Because he had to be humble. Yeah, he had to be humble. I mean, God is going to do a remarkable thing through this guy and put him in a remarkable position. But when he gets there, he cannot afford to have an ounce of personal pride. Rick, that's the way he does almost everybody. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? It's not that Joseph is good or bad. I mean, he wasn't Moses, David. Every time God gives a promise, you know, like this, I'm like, the promise of Messiah, it's almost like he gets the promise and he turns around and seems like he destroys it. It makes it impossible before he does it. Absolutely. Well, it, it is. And, 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 and he refines it. Yeah. And that is it. It's that, it's that refining, purifying process. And all I'm suggesting to you is not that Joseph is this terrible, arrogant, you know, pompous, whatever. I just think he's got the same pride in him that all of us do. And, and he reacted like I would have reacted at that point, which is I would have said, hey, guys, 
you guys keep treating me like dirt, but, you know, God's going to exalt me and here's the proof. You know, I, I'm sorry. I would have said it. You know, I would have blurted it out. If I was 17 years old and I finally had my, my verification from God that I was right, I couldn't have resisted. And it's not that he was just this pompous, arrogant, whatever. I just think he was proud like we all are. And before God exalts a man, he humbles him. That's just the way God is. If he wants to mightily use a man, he breaks him first. He crushes him first. And it's only after God crushes him that the sweet fragrance of humility can then have its effect. And so I believe that that's what's happening in the life of Joseph. And may I ask you a question too? Sure. He was a dream for me well, I think if we went, I, you know, of course, in this area, we're in the subjective area of personal experience. But I think if we went around the room here for anybody in the room, and I'm assuming there's just one ginger and I, who feel at times that God has really ministered to us through a dream or through dreams. Uh, if we went around the room, I think we'd find there's a whole array of different ways, that, different things that God has communicated to us. It's interesting now that we talk about it. I remember one dream very vividly that I heard, that I had, I should say, a dream that I had. And, and I woke up and the one thing, the one thing I got from that dream was, Rick, keep your mouth shut. That's the one thing I got from that dream is that I was insisting on trying to communicate something to somebody. I kept trying to say something to somebody. I, was, I mean, in real life, in my life, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to get through to somebody because they were so, in my mind, so thick-headed and I couldn't get through to them. And I had this, this profound dream. I woke up in the middle of the night and went, wow. And it was God saying, I believe it was God saying to me, Rick, don't say a word. If you say anything... You're going to make matters worse. Uh, that's not proof of my point in, in the Bible study this morning, but but it is interesting. That's one dream I had. So so what I'm saying is, if we if we went through this, if we went through the class here and, and people shared their experiences, I'm sure we'd find a whole array of different ways, different things that God has communicated to us. Well, we're out of time, and all we managed to do today was finished last week's lesson. <laughs> Actually, we probably haven't even finished it, but we got to talk about dreams. So next week, we'll, we'll talk about uh, his going to his brothers. And Lord willing, if we get time, we'll go on and, and talk about uh, his uh, being sold into uh, Egypt. So, okay?